passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles's number one sports podcast network. The only place with the show for every team in LA and so much more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm Nara Wang, and for episode 40 of the Everything USC podcast, my guest is a former national champion running back for the University of Oklahoma, a Super Bowl champion with the San Francisco 49ers, and now a Fox Sports college football analyst, Spencer Tillman. Spencer, thanks for joining me on the Everything USC podcast. Absolutely. I can't think of a better way to spend my day. And uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I understand that my partner, Tim Brando, has been on before. So that means we're in good company. So I got to bring my A game. That's definitely right. And of course, if you enjoy listening to the show, please subscribe, download and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary or TuneIn or go right to the website at Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. On social media, at Believe Podcasts. For me, I am on Twitter. You can find and follow me at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Spencer, any social media or websites or anything you want to promote, let's get it out there. Yeah, just at Spence Tillman. Uh, you can always find me there, and I'm pretty active on Twitter. And We'll be doing some Instagram stuff later on, but we'll save that for later because we've got some nice little uh, masterclass projects that we're working on. We're going to keep those pathways clear for that. but. For now, it's at Spence Tillman. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. We're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online. Where the game starts. The roller coaster ride of the Trojan season continued last Saturday at Colorado as USC smashed the Buffaloes 37 14 just a week after the embarrassing home loss versus Oregon State. SC made it 15 0 all time against the Buffaloes as they scored on four of their first five possessions to build a 20 zip lead 
that would never really be threatened, even when Colorado gained some momentum by scoring a touchdown late in the first half after a Keontae Ingram fumble near midfield with about four minutes to go before halftime. The Trojans would score on their first two drives of the second half and cruise to victory. Drake London keeps strengthening his credentials as the best wide receiver in the country as he hauled in nine catches for 130 yards and an absolutely filthy one-handed TD reception in the first quarter that set the tone for the rest of the game. Keaton Slovis threw for 276 yards and three TDs, and outside of his fumble, Ingram had his best day as a Trojan, running for 124 yards on 14 carries as SC gained 218 on the ground overall. The defense held the Buffs to just 242 yards of total offense, keeping 2020 Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year Jarek Broussard to only 68 yards rushing and sacking quarterback Brendan Lewis five times, one of which was a strip sack by Tuli Tuipilotu, recovered by Drake Jackson, and picking him off once as well. USC's only real negative during the game was accumulating 12 penalties, costing the Trojans 125 yards, which shows that some of the discipline issues that interim head coach Dante Williams says are going to be cleaned up are still a problem. Spencer, you'll be calling Saturday's game between USC and Utah along with Tim Brando for Fox, and you also did the game against Stanford that resulted in Clay Helton being fired. Why is there such a fluctuation in how the Trojans are playing from game to game? I really believe it's a carryover from last year, and I think everybody's kind of dealing with it to varying degrees. We saw a little bit of it with Penn State and others who the COVID crisis really hit them hard last year. And I think USC is no different than anybody else. And it's to varying degrees. But what I I think that made USC's challenge a lot more difficult to swallow is that they've got so much talent. I mean, just replete with athleticism. You can see it on all sides of the ball offensively. You see it defensively as well. You know, I just got through talking as we do this podcast to Kyle Whittingham at Utah and just looking and listening to what everybody else says. We're seeing the same things. We're seeing a team that is probably underachieved relative to the amount of athleticism that exists on their respective squads. And to the extent that Dante can get that righted, I think you're going to have a team that's going to be still in the hunt down the stretch. I, I really believe that because Anytime you have talent at this level, you have a chance to win. You got a quarterback that's playing at a high level right now. He's got weapons around him. You're going to be a threat. So we'll see. Everybody else is mortal, too, in this conference. That's for sure, as we saw what happened to Oregon at Stanford. And Mm -hmm. really, is it just a case of USC having too much talent for Colorado? And when they put it together, they have more talent than the other team. They can do something like that. Is it that basic? Yeah. It's not that complicated at all. I mean, look, you got 20 hours a week to get as much as you possibly can, or at least what you think will help you win games. And you just don't have a lot of time. You got more things vying for the time and attention of student athletes uh, these days. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but it's something that's new and therefore has to be managed. And so whether we're talking about NIL, we're talking about deals outside of that want a piece of that mental pie, that's all part of the process of managing a complex world that is college athletics. And so specifically as it relates to football, you've got a limited amount of time. So I think it's if you've got more talent, you have an advantage and you keep it simple to the extent that you can. And if you've got guys that can adopt easily to what you're trying to teach, and I believe that offensive scheme applies to what USC has because they are multiple. I mean, I know that you've got air raid roots, but the bottom line is you're multiple in a lot of ways. And I like to see them leverage that a little bit more than they have. 
because there's some stuff that they're leaving on the table. I personally believe just from just an offensive mind looking at what they're doing. I mean, I think it's good and effective, but you can only please so many people and you've got enough talent out there, but um, that's something that has to be managed. And that's Graham's challenge. And one of the things that a lot of fans were finally happy to see was a productive running game. Do you think the rush offense that they put together against Colorado is sustainable for the rest of this season? Yeah, I like Keontae. I mean, I like what he's done. Barlow's physical. you got some other guys in there that can help. I think there's enough that's there. And part of what makes a ground game sufficient, and nobody's going to argue that you don't have this in spades, is a throw game. Drake's drawing so much attention out there. I believe they're leaving probably another 20, 30% of offense because they're forcing the ball to him a, a significant amount of times. When, for, for example, your learned viewers out there see them in a trips formation, you've got four wide receivers deployed, and that innermost or the closest one to the line of scrimmage, closest to the tackle or the tight end, no, no matter who's over there, is on a slow drag going the opposite direction. He's wide open. I mean, you see that multiple times, but you're still forcing it to 15. And I understand why you're doing it, because he's a playmaker. I mean, if I'm Slovis, I'm trying to get the ball to my, my security blanket as well. But I think in order to be dangerous and to make teams defend the tire breadth and width of the field, you got to exploit things. I mean, one of the derivatives of Mike Leach's scheme, which Graham is kind of a disciple of, if you will, he's got his own kind of spin on it, is being able to have five, six, seven guys that all have three to four to six to seven, possibly, receptions. And if you can do that... That constitutes balance. It's another way of looking at what constitutes balance. Balance is not always just an equal amount of runs or passes. It's an equal amount of distribution of what you have offensively to different people that have to be defended. And to the extent that you can do that, you're going to have success. Drake London currently second in the NCAA FBS rankings in receptions and receiving yards per game. You've been around the game for a long time. How good is Drake London? He's great. You know, I had a chance to talk to him at length. And uh, the thing I like about him, he's got a work ethic. Uh, he's like many wide receivers, a little bit anal about his preparation. I see that. I saw that in Jerry Rice, a former teammate of mine in San Francisco. I'm not putting him up in that echelon, but I am saying this. They have a lot in common in terms of the way they work. You know, if you look at Jerry's MO, there are people out there who are faster, right? But nobody's going to work harder. He was obviously known along with Roger Craig for their offseason workouts and they always competed at a high level, but a lot of that was born out of their preparation. And I think Drake has some of those same DNA markers in, in his makeup. And so when you work hard, you've got people who can get the ball to you. You've got a, other weapons or threats that can draw attention away from you. You have a reasonable expectation and, you, and, you, and you're 6'4". You know, you got great height and size. You're able to do some things that other people can't do. And that, that puts them in a league category. What do you think are his pro prospects? Is he a guy who's going to go in the first round and be an NFL star for years to come? Yeah, I mean, without knowing exactly what the context will be, because the context always determines a team's strategy. And so whether or not a team has needs in that area, I can see him being a mid to late first round draft pick, certainly a second round draft pick high. He's definitely first round worthy. It just depends on the needs that are in that position around him. And I think because something that happened maybe 10, 12 years ago when we hit that inflection point and the NFL became a true passing league in the strictest sense and started to borrow concepts from the college game. And the college game started to influence, if you will, the professional game. Because before that time, it was always the colleges mimicking what the NFL were doing. Well, we were pro-style offense or we we're pro this or that. 
Now it's just the opposite. You see mobile quarterbacks in the classic sense of the definition and even in the, the nuanced sense of the definition uh, running the game. So those factors have influenced up, if you will. And I think Drake is the type of guy who can help out teams in this new era that we're in in the National Football League. So, I mean, I say it's new. It's been around for over a decade now, so it's not necessarily new. But he's definitely the type of guy that can be a playmaker. And what would be your main takeaway from that USC-Colorado game for the Trojans going forward? Well, just, you know, how active they are defensively more than anything else. I mean, I, I look at Liechtenstein in 97. I look at 49. I look at 50. You mentioned uh, Tui Peloto. I think he's exciting to watch. You know, you've got guys across the board on the back end. Todd's known for that three-man front that he runs everywhere he's been. But you've got to be able to leverage that. And so when I say leverage it, the value of a three, whether it's a 3-3-5, 3-3-2, whatever the makeup, 3-4, it's it's value and its ability to disguise pressure. And if you've got guys that are athletic and smart, you can bring pressure at any time from any place. And that puts a lot of stress on offenses. So I'm looking for Todd to unpack that a little bit more. I mean, they kind of went the opposite direction, got conservative against this latest team, but he knows, and I've seen him open it up when he needs to, when he wants to bring pressure, he can do it. I think he maybe dialed it back intentionally, just thought that they can win without it. And so, you know, God bless him in that regard. But yeah, I want to see this team be more consistent and disruptive. And those takeaways to me are the things that I'll be looking for against Utah. This is the Everything USC podcast. I'm your host, Nara Wang. My guest today, Fox Sports college football analyst, Spencer Tillman. If you enjoy listening to this show, you can subscribe, download, and rate it at all of your favorite podcast directories or go to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcasts. For me, I'm on Twitter. Find and follow me at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Spencer, let the people know how they can reach out to you. Just reach out to me at, at Spence Tillman, at Spence Tillman on Twitter. We'll be out there on Instagram in the future with some projects that we're working on. But for now, that's where I spend most of my time on Twitter. And you can always find me there. You know, if somebody's got something to say, I'm willing to respond to it. And I'll spend a, my Mondays and Tuesday mostly just responding to a lot of the, the good and the bad and the indifferent. And so I love to engage on Twitter. So reach out to me and I'll ping you back. It's the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network with Nara Wang. Hi, this is Tim Brando of Fox Sports. Keep listening. I know I will. Now let's look forward to the matchup this weekend against the Utah Utes. Spencer Tillman and Tim Brando will be on the call for Fox on Saturday evening at 5 p.m. Pacific time for kickoff. Also on radio locally, KABC 790 AM and on Sirius XM Nationwide. Utah comes in 2-2 two and two overall, 1-0 in the Pac-12 as they won their Pac-12 opener in their last game, 24-13 against Washington State. Their other win was in the season opener against Weber State. And in between, they lost at BYU and in three overtimes at San Diego State. The head coach, as you've already mentioned, Kyle Whittingham, the dean of Pac-12 coaches, 17 years at Utah as the head guy, 136 and 68 overall, winning two-thirds of his games, 46 and 41 in the Pac-12. USC leads the all-time series with the Utes, 13 to 6. 
their first meeting way back in 1915. And the last time the Utes won against the Trojans in Los Angeles was 1916, a 27-12 victory over 100 years ago. The last game, 33-17 USC win at Utah last season. The Trojans led 24-17 at halftime and then shut out the Utes in the second half. Utah quarterback Cameron Rising was the surprise starter getting his first career start but got knocked out with a season-ending shoulder injury and it was the first Trojans win at Utah since 2012. The last game in LA two years back was a 30-23 Trojans victory. That was the game where Keaton Slovis got knocked out early on a big hit and Matt Fink came off the bench and played the hero with 351 yards in the air and three touchdowns. Michael Pittman Jr., now the receiver for the Indianapolis Colts, had a huge game, 10 catches for 232 yards and one of Fink's TDs. And on a sadder note, of course, this is going to be the first game for Utah since the shooting death of Aaron Lowe two weeks ago after their game against Wazoo at a house party. Lowe was the first recipient of the Ty Jordan Memorial Scholarship named for the Ute running back who died in an accidental shooting on Christmas Day of 2020. Lowe had been a high school teammate of Jordan. They grew up together in Mesquite, Texas, and changed his number from 2 to 22 in honor of his friend. There has been an arrest made in the Lowe shooting death, and the Utes, of course, got an extra week to deal with Lowe's death with their off week last weekend. How do you think the team is going to come out here in their first action since such a tragedy happened? I don't know. I talked to uh, Coach Whittingham at length about that and areas and subject matters uh, relative to that. No one really knows. They've got such a young team. I think they've done the right things. They've got great coordinators. I think Andy Ludwig you know, and Morgan Scally do a fantastic job in their respective units. And so they're mindful, number one. And this is really the most important thing you can have when you have a crisis that's unscheduled like this happen to you is to have coaches that understand what you're dealing with. The context determines your strategy, not just on the field and in games, but also beyond the white lines into behind society's lines of scrimmage. And so when you have a context where you've got a bunch of young players, you need to be able to watch and observe what's going on. And you need to determine whether or not it's something that needs to be said, or you need to just be listening. And that can change from player to player. So in the aggregate, I spoke to both coordinators and the head coach about that very subject matter. And all three of them had their hands on the matter really, really well. And they were dialed in to what needs to take place. When you're thrust into foreign territory or you experience sudden loss or you have mentoring relationships with sports tends to provide for you in the form of coaches, that's really the combination for how you break out of these situations. You have to have all three of those. That's when you learn the most. And uh, it's unfortunate that it happened. I mean, the irony is eerie that these two players, friends, one another, would be failed by, by gun violence and, and accidental, however it may have been in the, in the first case. It's just a tragic set of circumstances, but this is where sports kind of provides as a respite from the real or imagined pressures of everyday life. And, and these coaches have a great opportunity, as tragic as it may be, to help grow these young men. Yes, it is definitely a tough situation to be in, in season, to have to deal with the loss of a teammate, especially one as respected as 
Aaron Lowe was and just like you said, the circumstances of him and Ty Jordan being friends and all that goes into that. So obviously our thoughts and condolences are with the Lowe family and the Ute family with this one. And so let's talk about some football, though. Looking first at some of the key guys on the offensive side of the ball for Utah. The quarterback is the fourth-year sophomore Cameron Rising, who has returned this year. He was not the starter to begin the season. That was Baylor transfer Charlie Brewer, who started the first Mm -hmm. three games of the season. But then, after he was replaced in that San Diego State game while he was struggling, and Rising was basically going to take over the starting job, Brewer just decided to leave the program. So Rising took over as the starter there. And so, so far this year, He's completed about 59.5% of his passes for 319 yards and four touchdowns. His main targets, a fourth-year junior tight end, Brant Keithy, really good tight end with 17 catches to lead the team this year for 163 yards and a touchdown. He's led the team in catches the last two seasons and been named second-team All-Pac-12 in 2019 and 20. There's fifth-year junior wide receiver Britton Covey, He's got 15 catches for 74 yards and a touchdown this year, but maybe more well-known for his special teams, his return ability. 12 punt returns for 237 yards. That's the most yards in the nation on punt returns, averaging nearly 20 yards per punt return, again, leading the nation in that. Has a touchdown return on a punt as well. Two-time first-team all-conference returner in 2018 and 20. He leads all active Pac-12 players with 147 career catches. And if you can believe it, he was a freshman All-American all the way back in 2015 before he went on a two-year <laughs> mission before coming back to school. So even in this age of super seniors and super juniors or whatever, he is super, super in terms of how long he's actually been a collegiate athlete. And... They've got a fourth-year junior wide receiver, Solomon Enos, with 13 catches on the year, 143 yards and a touchdown. And he is, of course, the son of former Penn State All-American running back Curtis Enos, a guy who once destroyed the Trojans in a game in a kickoff (laughs) classic to start the season between Penn State and USC. And their third-year freshman running back, Makai Bernard, 42 carries, 247 yards, leading the team in both of those categories, has a touchdown, and also added nine catches and 77 yards. And what stands out to you about the Utes offense? I don't mean this as a left-handed compliment at all. I mean it because it's, I'm an analyst. I say what I see. Nothing really stands out, per se. Anytime you have a tight end that's leading your team and receiving, you know, unless you're Iowa or maybe some other program that's wired similarly, that doesn't necessarily communicate explosiveness necessarily. But one of the things that I believe that Andy Lugwood does well as he incorporates the tight ends into their scheme. And they've got a nice mix of three guys that have got complementary skills that are able to do some really cool things. And so you can, you know, move them off point. You can, you got a traditional guy in Fotheringham. You've got some guys that are pure catchers. And Dalton Kincaid is probably a combination of those two things. But as you mentioned, Keithy is probably the most prolific of all three of them. Actually, he is. There's no question about it. It's just that what do you tend to do? What do you want to do? Who do you want to be? And you use each one of those in more of a featured role, depending on what you want to become. I mean, I love when they get in their 12 personnel and get Makai's feet at eight yards deep in, the, in a deep eye and run zone one way, left or right. It doesn't matter which. But with those two tight ends or three tight ends, as the case may be, 
you become a really nice, strong power team. And so I just love the way um, Bernard runs. He's physical. And at that depth, I think he's probably better than he would be otherwise. He's true six footer. Sometimes you get guys back there that more like a Mark Ingram, a 5'10-ish type, 215, that probably, to me, are best in short yardage, kind of tight package situations as opposed to a deep depth type runner who you can put at eight. And the further they run, the more minimum they get, particularly on stretch runs, and they tend to be better. The taller, more leaner guys do well with the stretch type concept. So to me, there's nothing that jumps out offensively. I love Cameron Rising at quarterback, the guy that showed you discipline, just a hard worker. You know, when Charlie bolted on him, nobody was expecting that. But this is not the first time that, you know, Cameron has been bounced out of that number one slot. And that resiliency that he's shown in each case really is something that the coaches appreciate there. And certainly at the timing that it happens, they can point to him as a leader on that offensive side of the ball through these tough times. And on the other side of the ball for the defense, they're led by a fifth-year junior middle linebacker or what they call the MAC linebacker in their system, yep. Devin Lloyd who was a 2020 All-Pac-12 first-teamer, leading the team with 45 tackles, eight of them for loss. That leads the conference. He's also got two sacks, two interceptions, and a fumble recovery this season. Another linebacker is their fifth-year junior rover linebacker, Nephi Sewell. Obviously, if people are familiar with the Pac-12, they know the Sewell name. His brothers, Noah and Panay, stars at Oregon. Panay, of course, now in the pros after being a first-round pick of the Detroit Lions. He's got 26 tackles, two of them for loss, and a forced fumble this season. But he did miss the Wazoo game, so we'll see if he's going to be back for this one. And their second-year freshman corner, Clark Phillips the third, 23 tackles, a forced fumble, and had a 54-yard pick six in the Wazoo game. He has started all nine games of his Utah career, and he set his career high in tackles with nine in his very first game, which happened to be against USC last season. So on the defensive side of the ball, what are you looking at out of the Utes? Well, here's the thing that you look at anytime you see the Utes play defense. You know, when you look at Morgan Scally's profile and the way that he approaches the game, you know, he's about being nasty. He's about being smart. I call them the network. You know, they do things as a group with one identity. And you can always tell they're going to be consistent with it. Fabian Marks is one guy you didn't mention when he plays the boundary left cornerback opposite of Phillips. You know, a really aggressive guy, you know, made some poor decisions recently. But I think in terms of physicality, he's what you want over there in the boundary corner. Devin Lloyd, you mentioned also, um, to me, off the charts. Love this guy. Self-made guy. Converted from the offensive side of the ball has put the 30 pounds on since they made that move. And it's amazing. He looks like he's unnatural in that position at 6'3", 235. And, and up front, you know, you've got some guys that can make plays. So that four-man front is going to give him opportunities to flow and react and do things that he does well. And to me, that's what jumps out to me. Number zero is a zero only on number only. But man, I'm telling you, he's a man-made guy who can really run and chase, cover a lot of range, and, uh, you know, I think opposite of Sewell, they're going to be tough at that second level to stop. His run fits are off the chart. I watched this guy Phil, man, and he's like a glove. He's like an index finger fitting exactly where it's supposed to go. He doesn't make mistakes. He's got the offensive mindset and the quickness to read and react, but the defensive tenacity to, to be a force when he gets to that point of contact. And that's a rare combination. But it was a brilliant move to move him to their middle linebacker position from the offensive side. And um, he's a special one. 
Yeah, and at first, too, he was playing the rover linebacker when he first made the switch to defense, and now they've moved him inside. And Mm -hmm. I think he's one of those guys who's going to get underrated, right, at the next level. He's going to go in maybe the fourth round or something like that and then make an impact at the next level because of his work ethic and his ability to have done a lot of different things. Am I wrong on that, or do you think that's what you're seeing? I think you're right. It just depends. It depends on who gets with him. I mean, how many times have we seen – by way of analogy on the offensive side of the ball, you know, whether it's a Joe Burrow who was at LSU and gets with, you know, a Joe Brady who put him in the right position to make things. And it's the same guy that was at, you know, Ohio State and couldn't get on the field. I mean, and we know they had talent and everything, but when you get with the right person, I mean, think uh, Sam Darnold, uh, you know, here's a guy, another with Pac-12 roots who goes to the Jets and then can't do anything, but all of a sudden he's found new life, you know, a new address and the right offensive coordinator can change a lot. So I do agree with you on that point. And I think this case applies here, certainly. And he's going to be a difference because it depends on who drafts him and where he ends up. And if he ends up with the right people who's got imagination and can see this kid can fly around a little bit, and but yet he's got the tenacity of a, a larger guy that would typically be in the middle, you can have some fun with him. So USC, of course, comes in alternating wins and losses on the season to be 3-2, and 2-2 two, two and two in conference. What do you think are the keys for the Trojans in order to get this win at home against Utah? Well, they've got to protect the football. I mean, I think that's key because I know that um, this defense of Utah is going to want to try to generate turnovers. As a matter of fact, that's a benchmark for what they want to do. I, I can tell you that definitely. So ball security is going to be significant. Being able to distribute the ball to more than just 15. I think that's absolutely key for USC. I know that he's a security blanket. I know that he's an unbelievable talent, but you've got to be able to leverage this scheme to its limits. And the only way you do that is to make sure other players get involved. And I think to the extent that you you incorporate the run game and get people interested in protecting that and pulling you out of that too deep shell and getting an extra body around the line of scrimmage, that's only going to open up opportunities for number 15. And those home run balls are going to start to be there. So to me, make them defend the run ball security, spread the ball around to someone other than number 15 in the throw game. You do those three things, you're going to come away with a win. And a couple of things that I'm looking at are kind of those, like something's got to give statistical things because USC is second in the Pac-12 in total offense. The Utah defense, second in the Pac-12 in total defense. And then you look at the penalties. Mm -hmm. USC, again, one of the worst in penalties in the nation and the conference obviously meanwhile utah which has been a staple under kyle whittingham one of the least penalized teams in the country and again leading the pac-12 this season with the fewest penalties and then third down defense for usc has actually been really strong this year they lead the Mm -hmm. conference in that 21st in the nation and utah not very good converting third downs. So I think those are a few things to look at in the battles between the teams and see which one can win on their strengths or weaknesses in this game. So we're going to see how that all turns out, obviously. But Spencer, it's time for that segment that everyone loves. It's when we make predictions and try and look smart and sometimes maybe not end up looking so great. But it is, again, the fun segment of this show. So Let me go over last week's predictions. The guest last week, your fellow Fox Sports college football analyst Petros Papadakis was on with me to go over the Colorado game. So the first thing is the players we believe in, basically the Trojan MVP of the game. For the first time all season, 
I took Drake London. He, of course, had the nine catches, 130 yards, and a touchdown. Petros went with the QB, Keaton Slovis, 19-29, 276, and three touchdowns. So here's the thing, though, Spencer. Petros tried to impugn my character last week. He said that I would just give (laughs) myself the win on these decisions on who gets the point for, you know, getting the pick right or better. And he said that because the guest isn't back to defend themselves, I'm just going to cheat them. So I'm going to give you the option here. All right. You tell me who had the better game last week, Drake London and Keaton Slovis, and we'll go with your decision. Well, I have to go with Drake's. Drake London had the best game. I mean, overall, I mean, the, the sick catch was incredible. I mean, uh, that was something that was off the charts. So I, I don't know how you not go with that it, it, because, you know, listen, we live in a world of images and impressions and that one made an impression on me. So I'm going with 15. All right. You hear that, Petros? I didn't just give myself the win there. Spencer Tillman, your colleague, gave me that point there. So I will take the point on the players we believe in. In the game score, I went with Colorado to pull the upset 24-20. I was obviously dead wrong. Petros went with USC 34-20 and, of course, the 37-14 win. So Petros gets the point on the game score. And then finally, we obviously have our prop bet. And for me, it's Nara's no doubter. I said there would be a combined five plus sacks by both teams. And I was correct. Mm -hmm. There were five sacks and they all happened to be by USC. So I could have just said just by USC, but obviously I was combining it. It would have been really good. But I got the prop bet right. And Petros, I gave him two picks. I let him do two picks because he had a pregame pick. He said that none of the handlers would fall during the Ralphie run because Ralphie is so small this year. In fact, the word that Petros used was Ralphie is decrepit this year because of how small Ralphie is, the new Ralphie, Ralphie 6. So he said none of the handlers Mm -hmm. would fall during the Ralphie run. And then he did an in-game one, too, that Jarek Broussard would run for 100-plus yards in the game. So I gave him two chances to get points, and he failed on both because one of the handlers fell at the very end of the run, right before Ralphie got in the trailer at the end of the run. The one in the back right, she took a tumble, so he didn't get that. And then Broussard was held to 68 yards, so I was the only one to get a prop bet. So on the week, I went 2-1, and one, and so the season total now, I have five wins, guests have four wins, and there are two ties. So I've just crept ahead of my guests on the season. Of course, Petros has been a guest. The week before, Marcus Grant of the NFL Network had Ryan Leaf on, had your buddy Tim Brando on, and the first game was former 49er and USC offensive lineman Derek Deese. So it's time for us now to go head-to-head and see how we do, beginning with the players that we believe in. And I will go first. And here's just a personal thing. I don't want to take the same guy two weeks in a row. So I'm not going to take Drake London again. And plus, that's the easy pick, obviously, because He's, mm-hmm. let's face it, he's the best player on USC's offense. But I'm going to change it up. I'm not going to take him again this week. But I will stay at the wide receiver position. A guy who kind of broke oh. out last week had a touchdown catch and a pretty good day. True freshman, Trigg. Michael Trigg. Yep. So yep, I'm yep. going to roll the dice that they're going to get him more involved this week. And like you said, hopefully they're going to spread the ball around, not be too focused on London. So I'm going to go with Michael Trigg as the player I believe in this week. Spencer, who do you believe in? Listen, you stole mine away from me. I, I, I saw those yards there by Trigg, and I was impressed by that. 
Listen, it's hard not to say that Drake London is not going to be the guy. And then I think that, but, but I'm, I am going to say there's going to be another guy that's going to be key. And it's Keontae Ingram. I think the 28 is going to be the guy that sets up greater opportunity. I believe that Graham is going to try to spread the ball around a little bit more. It doesn't mean that Drake, Drake's going to still get targeted. If, if we've got a little side bet on the side of the side of the side, I would say he'd be targeted at least 12 times, a minimum of 12 times. That would be a little parlay there for you. But Keontae Ingram. I think it's going to be the guy that really sets the tone, establish the run game. And then off of that, when you pull them out of that too deep shell, then that extra body that's around the line of scrimmage to deal with 28 and to a lesser extent, 22 as well. I think that was going to open up opportunities for Drake to really strike and, and do it in a big way. Big explosive plays. So you're going to go with Keontae Ingram as the player yep. you believe in. All right. Yeah. So we're both going away from the obvious, and I like it. It's going to be a little more even, maybe, and see who might actually come out on top on this one. And now, of course, since you are calling the game, I know by policy you're not allowed to pick the game score. That's right. So this allows mm. me to maybe get a point up on you. And for <laughs> entertainment purposes, obviously, Bet Online, a sponsor of this show, currently as we record this show on a Wednesday, has USC as a three-point home favorite over the Utes. Based on how USC has looked at home against Pac-12 teams, I think that's crazy bananas. So Mm. I am going to go with the underdog. I'm going to pick Utah to win this game 30-20. So Mm. I'm going against the Trojans. I know some people out there get upset. Hey, you're a Trojan. Why don't you? Listen, I just got to call it the way I think it's going to happen. And guess what, everybody? I've been wrong on every game so far. (laughs) When I pick the Trojans, I haven't picked them to cover, and they've covered every time they won. And then I picked again the upset last week. Didn't happen. I'm going to pick the upset again. So you guys should be happy that I'm not picking USC. It means that there's more (laughs) likely a chance that they're going to win. So obviously, I'm the only one who's allowed to make a pick here. So I can maybe take a point away from you there just because you're not allowed to, Spence. I'm sorry. That's just how it rolls here, right? With the policy. Good call. All is fair in love and war in football. So it's good. It's all good. And so now it's time for our prop bet. Nara's no doubter this week. And it's because I'm picking USC to lose that I'm going to say this. I think USC will commit at least three turnovers in this game. And that's going to help Mm. lead to the Utah victory. So Nars, no doubter, USC commits three-plus turnovers in the game. Spencer, let's hear the name for your prop bet. Got to have a nice, cool name. And then what it is. Drake's not fake. London leaves him falling and crying. I think that he's going to have at least 12 targets. And uh, for me, I think that that's going to be the thing to look for that that could complement what I just said about 28 being the difference. All right. So it's going to be Drake's not fake and (laughs) London's going to leave him crying. That's right. That's right. So the prop is that USC will be throwing to Drake London at least 12 times in the game. At least. At least 12 times. That is a good prop bet. And... Slovis does use him as a security blanket, so it could easily be 12 targets for Drake London in this game. So let's recap our predictions for this week. First, the players we believe in. I'm going with the freshman, Michael Trigg. Spencer going Mm -hmm. with the Texas transfer, Keontae Ingram. In the game score, I'm the only one allowed to choose here, and I'm going to go with the upset, Utah, to beat the Trojans 30-20. Wow. In our prop bet, Nara's no doubter. USC will commit at least three turnovers in the game. And for Spencer, Drake's not fake. 
London's leaving. I'm crying. It's going to be 12 plus targets for the star wide receiver for USC. So, again, this is the Everything USC podcast. I'm Nara Wang. My guest today, a Super Bowl champion with the San Francisco 49ers, an All American back in his day running the ball for the Oklahoma Sooners, Fox Sports college football analyst Spencer Tillman. If you enjoy listening to the show, you can catch it wherever you get your favorite podcasts or go to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcasts. To find and follow me on Twitter, go to at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Spencer, where did the people catch up with you on social media or anywhere else? Just reach out to me on Twitter at, at Spence Tillman. That's at Spence Tillman, and we'll ping you back as soon as we can. This is Bernice O'Connor, former USC Women's Water Polo All-American and 2000 Olympic Silver Medalist. And you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang and the Believe Podcast Network. Even though this is a USC podcast, my guest today, Spencer Tillman, is a former All-American running back for the University of Oklahoma. So with the 117th Red River Showdown taking place this weekend between the Sooners and the Texas Longhorns, I think it only makes sense to get his thoughts on one of college football's great rivalries. Before we get to this year's game, Spencer, what are some of your favorite memories from the games you played in during your college career when you had two wins, one loss, and one tie against the University of Texas? Yeah, you know, I think the, the great memories would be probably just um, the rain in one of them, a 15-15 tie, which Keith Stanberry clearly caught that pass inbounds in 84 uh, he was in bounds when that happened. I don't know if that was the home field. Actually, not home field advantage. It's supposed to be split down the middle. There's half that crowd that's in burnt orange, another half in crimson and cream and so forth. But that day, the officials weren't wearing crimson colors, that's for sure. But the 84 game stands out in the rain. You know, for me, it's just the big runs that happen in those games. It's, it's so much is at stake historically in terms of recruiting and so forth. So every year it's big. And that weekend in October, man, is a special one for a lot of reasons. And I think with the imminent, maybe not so fast uh, exit of both these teams to the SEC, uh, whoever has the last rights as a a Big 12 champion, as it were, I call it the element of recency. What you remember last, you do most, you remember last. And I think that team, whether it's Texas or Oklahoma, if you can win the last couple of championships in the Big 12, that goes a long way towards your new uh, address in the SEC. Texas leads the all-time series 62-49-5, but Oklahoma has a three-game winning streak and has won 14 of the last 21 meetings. It is, of course, held in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, and it's been that way every year since 1932. Last year was the highest-scoring game in series history, a four-overtime thriller that your Sooners pulled out 53-45. They were unranked. Texas was ranked 20th, I believe, in that one. Mm-hmm. And so this year, you've got Steve Sarkeesian, the former USC head coach, now in his first year running the show for the Longhorns. You've got Oklahoma, which, despite the fact that it is undefeated, has not looked particularly as good as it has in maybe recent vintage what mm-hmm. do you expect to see from this year's Red River Showdown? Well, this is going to be the closest one they've had in those last uh, 14, 15 years or so that you mentioned. I think Oklahoma, what they're missing really is a Ramondre Stevenson type guy. 
you know, a running back that can affect defenses in, in less than until they generate that. And I don't think they've added anyone to the roster that's going to help that matter. This game is going to be precarious. It's going to be tough if you're an Oklahoma Sooner fan. I think they've got enough weapons to score. That, that's the wheelhouse of Lincoln Riley. And Alex has got to find a way on the defensive side of the ball to, to generate more pressure on the quarterback. And listen, we had Sark earlier in the year. And one thing is for sure, they're kind of reminding me of a USC in this regard. They're always going to have talent lurking. It's about what you do with that talent, how you galvanize it on game day and throughout the week of preparation. They've got some talent there. A lot of it people don't know about, but they've got a great coach, I think. I think he's reclaimed himself in terms of the things that were off the field that were problematic for him. But I think ultimately this is going to be the closest Red River rival we've seen in the last 15, 20, 15 years to be sure, perhaps maybe the last 20 years. So you're expecting a good one there in Dallas. And again, you kind of brought it up. Obviously, these two teams are going to break away from the Big 12 to join the SEC at some point in the next few years. And obviously, back when you played, it was the Big 8, and then they expanded to the Big 12. And now things are changing once again. How do you feel about Oklahoma and Texas leaving the Big 12 to go to the SEC? Well, I have a unique position because I sat in that seat at CBS for nearly 20 years. And let me tell you something, I've got a firsthand relationship with the SEC and all of its last three uh, commissioners know them extremely well. I know how the brand of ball that they play. Let me tell you something, I know why people leave conferences and it's usually driven by money. There was a time when the currency of our game was tradition and now it's become money. And that's a clearly defined uh, line of embarkation. But I can tell you this, you, you bite off more than you can chew when you want to go to the SEC expecting to be, and I'm going to use this as a Southern witticism, the cock of the walk. And all that means is the one that's really strutting biggest on, the, on that street. You're not going to do that easily in this conference. You'd be lucky to get out of the Western Division unscathed. So this will not be a cakewalk. The, the, the saving grace is your coffers will be fuller than they were before you came in. And that's really what you've traded out. And uh, so both these teams will have adjustments to make, and we'll see if they can develop enough defense to play and stay in that league. And finally, to bring it back to USC as we wrap up this show, what do you think USC is going to do in terms of the next head coach? Don't know. I think you're probably going to have to go with a coach that's got an offensive pedigree. And, you know, I think that that's really been the trend. You want to sell tickets, you want to put butts in the seats, and that's that's no mystery, no rocket science involved in that. But I do believe you have to get someone that reflects the values that you see yourself as an institution, someone that's proven that, uh, someone that's consistently won wherever they have coached before. And unless and until you can do that, you're always going to be kind of on tiptoes of anticipation waiting for that next magic bullet. And so I think the, the way to salve everybody and keep everybody calm is to get a proven winner, man. Go spend the money, do what you need to do, and get the best that's available. Spencer, it has been great talking football with you today. Have a great time on the call of USC Utah this week with Timmy B. I look forward to it. So for my guest, Spencer Tillman, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 40 of the Everything USC podcast presented by Bet Online on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with the show for every team in L.A. and much, much more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And like I end every show, please remember to fight on.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.